This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll be joined by one of the dumbest gals to ever grace the airwaves, my friend Irma. But somehow this gal became a hit not only on radio, but the silver screen and even comic books. But that's later. But right now, we hear a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe. The program first aired the 17th of June of 1947 on NBC. And worth noting that by 1949, it had the largest audience in radio. Here's the episode, Seaside Sabbatical, that first aired in 1951. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. <laughs> Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, A Seaside Sabbatical. Wire in my hand said it all. Need your help, urgent. Meet me at 830 tonight, Ship's Galley Cafe, Long Beach. Signed, Dale Higgins. The time and the place were known factors, the need for help, the urgency, and most of all, Dale Higgins were unknown. And my hazy recollection of algebra told me that three unknowns are mathematically impossible to find. Call it a challenge, call it money, call it a chance for a shore dinner, call it anything you like. But 8.15 found me pulling into a parking lot on Ocean Boulevard, not far from the amusement pier. Just leave it there, be right with you. Oh, hello, Mr. Marlowe. Hiya, Red. How's it going? Oh, great, thanks. What brings you to the capital of Iowa? Corn. <laughs> my aim's getting bad, Red. I thought I'd come down to the pike and try for my limit at a shooting gallery. Gee, really? Yeah. Greatest practice in the world. Is it still 35 cents and no questions asked? Huh? Oh, to park the car. Yeah, that's it. Okay, kid. Keep it. Oh, thanks. Hey, I, I mind if I recommend the quick quack? How's that again? Used to be the dead duck. Best shooting gallery on the pike for my dough. Oh, that quick quack. Oh, sure. Anybody be a fool to go anywhere else, Yeah. Huh? My sentiments exactly. See you, Red. You bet, Mr. Marlowe. Red's a nice kid. His name was a natural. He was blonde. I bobbed along Ocean Boulevard in a direction that instinct and a blaring blue neon sign indicated would lead me on course to the ship's galley. The night was muggy and close. You wore it like an extra coat. The ocean breeze I'd anticipated had retired in favor of alternate waves of fog that rolled in, engulfed you for a moment, and then suddenly rolled out again. I was very nearly on time for my 8.30 appointment with Dale Higgins, 
as I turned blue beneath the ship's galley neon and stepped inside to be greeted by tight little groups of faces that opened and closed to admit food, drink, and talk, all indigo. The door behind me closed on two thoughts. My dreams of a shore dinner were blasted, and the ship's galley emerged as the last place in the world for anyone in need of urgent help to discuss his problems. But then, I didn't know Dale Higgins. Are you Philip Marlowe, by any chance? That's right. Yeah, it looked like you were looking for someone. I'm Higgins. Oh, oh, how are you, Higgins? Do we talk here? Mm, probably not very well. No. Huh? Walk along the beach? Oh, fine, fine. Yeah. Say, Higgins, did you ever wonder why people pack into hot little rooms on a night like this? Oh, you mean the ship's galley? Yeah, well... Philosophy is not my business, Marlowe. What is? Well, I don't quite know how to tell you, I guess. Well, your wire said urgent. That's good enough for openings. Yes, well, the truth is, I was a little quick sending that wire. Oh? I'm pretty upset about a situation at the time, but things have resolved themselves now, and I won't require any help. Uh-huh. Well, you ought to know. I expect to pay you, of course, the trip down and your customary fee. That'll be 25 a day in expenses. Seven cents a mile for 23 miles, and... Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. 35 cents for parking my car. Yeah, uh, seven times 23, $1.61. Uh, $35? $1.96. $26.96 altogether. Uh, is cash all right? I suppose. <laughs> Always has been. Marlowe, I am sorry about this. I didn't set out to bring you on a wild goose chase. Yes, looks like I've got the right amount. Thanks. Don't worry about it, Higgins. Anybody can change his mind. Yes, I, I guess that's right. Well, uh... Thanks for your trouble. Not at all. Eh, yeah, well. Mr. Marlowe! Hmm? Mr. Marlowe, wait! I turned in the direction of a voice, but the fog has a cute way of diffusing sound as well as sight. And I realized I wasn't closing in on anything, that the fog was circling me and I was circling it. So I stopped and waited. I listened and heard nothing but the sound of the sea and the faint wheezing of the pike calliope. Then suddenly it hit me. Somewhere along the fog-swept beach, a girl had called my name. And nobody knew I was in Long Beach except Red at the parking lot. And Dale Higgins. Yeah, the choice was obvious. Did she find you okay, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, Red, she did. You tell her where I was? Oh, I sure. I told her you and me always did our shooting at the Quick Quack. Good boy. Now tell me who she is. Who she is? Yeah. You mean you, you don't know her, Mr. Marlowe? That's the general idea, Red. Well, well, I, I guess she's my age. Yes, I know. Who is she? She's... Yeah. She's... You, you want your car, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> no, Red, not now. I think I left something back at the Quick Quack. Everything that was young and pretty along the pike was hanging onto a sailor's arm. Around Gene Arno's quick quack, the nearest thing to youth and beauty with a neatly lined 22s poised across the counter. Try your luck, mister. No, no, thanks. Just looking, I'm not buying. Yeah, see, I just lost my girl. Well, don't blow your brains out here. These guns is for shooting ducks. I see what you mean. We said we'd meet here if we got separated. Have you seen her by any chance? She's seven, eight feet tall, glandular case. She's three stalls down, build with toothpicks. Thanks so much. Still just looking, not buying. Still just look. Try it from a distance. It looks even better. Go on, bud. Beat it. I spotted her. At least I'd spotted a frightened fawn of a thing who caught my eye as if we were the only two on the pike. 
And there was something about her that made me wish we were. I followed her away from the crowded amusement section up the ramp toward Ocean Boulevard. Suddenly, she broke into a run, darted into an alleyway. I wasn't far behind her. No one saw you. Okay. Follow me. Like who? He might have. And there may be others. I don't know. I don't know. That makes two of us. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk, huh? I saw you meet him. I thought it was you at the parking lot. I saw you meet him at the ship's galley. Something like you lost in a mob. I'll kill you, you know. If you're with them, I'll kill you. I've got to before someone kills me. I don't know. I don't know about you. Now, listen, you. baby. Baby, I'm with you. Don't come in here. All right, all right. Let me see with you. I can't walk out of here with you. He's around somewhere. I know he is. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you will help me. You'll have to. There isn't anyone else. Of course I will. Of course I will. Well, then look. As soon as you can, get your car. Don't let Val see you now. Val? You know Val. Listen. In your car. Meet me at 7th and Anaheim. I'll get there. I'll have to. And then we can talk. Yeah, but wait a minute. 7th Hold and it. Anaheim, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I, I, I'm Dale Higgins. <laughs> It was a study in contrast all the way. A din and kaleidoscope of Rainbow Pier against the lonely sound of a foghorn. The gray feel of fog in the dank gray black of the warehouse district at 7th and Anaheim. An urgent wire signed Dale Higgins. <laughs> Dale Higgins. And a guy who called himself Higgins. Husband? Lover? What? Well, here we go again, Marlowe. I parked the car and waited. Fog hugged the streetlight, but the sign was intermittently visible. I had the right place. I don't know how long it was before I heard the footsteps, but it was long enough for me to stretch my legs out along the car seat, lean my head back against the door, and feel the damp touch of fog sweep against my face from an open window. I remember starting to turn my head toward the direction of the steps and thinking that Dale had made it in good time. Oh! In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, just as systematic exercise builds a strong body, so does systematic saving build a strong future. Save systematically for your future and for your country's future with United States defense bonds. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, A Seaside Sabbatical. I could almost hear the chain police planking the first time I opened my eyes. And it took another game try before the fuzz faded away and the room slowed down to a Lambeth walk. Off somewhere, the faint sound of breakers. And I did the ceiling, the walls, one corner of an expensively furnished room before I centered on the fuzzy, indeterminate face at my bedside. A kind face, motherly and pleasant. It talked. I'm Mrs. Higgins. Oh, oh no. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Is everybody in Long Beach named Higgins? You don't really feel a bit well, do you? No, no, not really. We're awfully sorry, Mr. Marlowe. I know when Dale realizes what she's done, she'll be sorry, too. Yeah, I suppose. Dale being me? What with a peer? She's often violent, I'm afraid. Such a high-strung girl. Gives way so easily, you know. Yeah. Imagines all sorts of things and then... Well, just give way. Yeah. But I won't worry you with that. Dale's my problem. Uh -huh. 
I I won't worry you with anything, Mr. Marlowe. Just you get a nice rest. I'm a cinch. We'll pay whatever damages there are, of course. But I won't hear of you leaving now until you're much better. Oh. oh. Okay. Oh. Oh. The mother of the Higgins clan had locked the door and walked away. My head felt big and woozy and rammed down into my neck. I was not in the pink. Mother Higgins had ordered a nice rest and it looked like I'd need it. But I don't like strange rooms and locked doors and high-strung girls who give way. I was still trying to get out of bed when another door clicked slowly open on the other side of the room. My little frightened fawn was back. And my head hurt. I didn't read it until I knew you were here. They heard you. They sure did. It wouldn't do, you know, if they found me talking to you. I, I feel better now that you're here. I wish I did. What happened to you, do you know? I have a rough idea. Say, honey, how much do you weigh? 105 when I left the convent. That, that's not important. Listen, I, I can't stay long. You know, a romance with you would be rough. Please, Mr. Marlowe. They're going to kill me. Val and Marie, I... All right, all right. Now settle down. They are. And I don't know why. Maybe if I knew why, I'd understand. Yeah, but listen, I... I didn't even know Val then. Val? Val Nichols. A friend of Marie's. She sent him to the boat to meet me. Ever since then, I just know they are going to kill me. Dale, listen to me. I don't know Val. As a matter of fact, until you told me, I thought his name was Higgins. And I don't know Marie. What makes you think they're going to kill you? I met Val last night. The ship's galley. You talked to him. Marie was just here. Oh, don't, don't try to confuse me. You're all I have. All right, honey, but tell me, isn't Marie your mother? My stepmother. Daddy's dead. And when I got off the Orange Coast the other night, whenever it was, there, there was Val. The Orange Coast? That's how I came back. Um, Mr. Muller, you, you're not trying to understand. If you won't help me, then... Don't let me... I hope that you're not bothering Mr. Marlowe here. No. No, I'm not. He asked me to come in. He likes me. Of course he does, dear. We all do. No. Feeling better, Mr. Marlowe? The worst way. Oh, I'm sorry. Come, Dale. Let's let Mr. Marlowe rest. Oh, you could use a little rest yourself, my dear. No. He wants me to stay. I'm not bothering. Well, you're not bothering at all, honey, but maybe it would be better if you come back a little later. Yes, huh? yes. Of course it would, dear. Come along now. And come back, though, Mr. Marlowe. You promise? Sure. If you promise, I know you'll keep it. Never mind, Val. I came in alone, you know. I can find my way out. She's sweet. She's sick. Very sick young lady, Marlowe. Troubled, confused. She's got nothing on me. Now, look, what is this all about? I don't know what day it is, what I'm doing here, who you are, anything. Well, it, it should all have ended with our meeting at the ship's galley last evening, Marlowe. You're not clearing anything up for me, you know. You've seen her, talked to her. You must realize that she imagines things. Right now, she imagines that she's been away from here a long time, that she came back a few days ago upon a ship, that her mother and I want to kill her. She did send me the wire. Oh, yes, yes. Well, we had no idea one of her spells was coming on. We left her for a short time yesterday. The switchboard has its instructions, of course, and they reported it to Mrs. Higgins when we returned. So we, we thought it best if I met you and... Uh, Call me uh, off. It's, it's not in your line, Marlowe. You're right. 
They're going to keep it that way, too. Mrs. Higgins realizes that she's going to have to do something about Dale. Institution, perhaps. Some long-range treatment, at any rate. Dale was in no condition to be running around last night playing mysteries. Taking up your time. Whoever hit me in the head last night was in pretty good condition. If I had gotten there two minutes sooner, I could have spared you all that. You were following her? No, no, no. I was coming back from my boat. I had gone down to the harbor after I left you. Oh. As on the way back, I just happened to see Dale. And knowing the state she was in, I followed her, of course. I see. She doesn't know she hit me, does she? I don't believe that she has the slightest idea what happened. Things started swimming again. Val Nichols became part of the draperies. I was trying to think, but it hurt. Everything hurt. Next time I tried, I was more successful. Sunlight was streaming in the room. The clock on the night table visible for the first time said it was almost noon. So I got up. It was still pretty fuzzy on the edges, but I found my clothes hung neatly in the closet. Managed to get them on in the right order and made it to the door that had been locked before, but it wasn't this time. Mr. Marlowe. You shouldn't be up. Well, I'm always flying in the face of great odds, Mrs. Higgins. Bill's character. <laughs> Even so, you should stay in bed a while. Oh, really, I'm fine, thanks. But you're not leaving. I won't think of it. You'll lunch with us at least. No, no, really. No, I've got to go, but I'd like to see Dale first. I sort of promised her I would. Oh, my. She's sleeping, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? We gave her sedative. Doctor's orders, of course. She's had such a trying time, you oh, know. Oh, I wouldn't want I... to disturb her, though. No. Maybe I can call later. Oh, huh? that would be so thoughtful of you. I know she'll be disappointed at not seeing you, but I... Oh, Val, I... Uh... Up and about so soon, Marlowe? Yes, Well, I... she's sleeping, isn't she, Val? The sedative and all. I mean, I was just telling Mr. Oh, Marlowe yes, that... Oh, yes, yes, She's resting very well, Marie. Now, don't, don't fret about her. Well, I'll take you to your car, Marlowe. Uh, oh. Oh, yes. Oh, Mrs. Higgins, it's been... Uh... Oh, it's been downright dreadful, and I know it, Mr. Marlowe. If I can do anything to right this terrible wrong, please let me know. Well, if I can think of anything, I'll let you know. <laughs> Goodbye, Mrs. Higgins. Tell Dale goodbye for me, will you? Oh, yes. Yes, of course I will. Well, it uh, looks like another lovely day, doesn't it? I followed Val Nichols' lead to an elevator and for the first time discovered that I was in an apartment hotel on a different stretch of Ocean Boulevard than the one I'd grown to loathe the night before. Val filled in a few last details as he walked me to my car in the underground garage. Seems he'd driven Dale and me to the apartment from 7th and Anaheim in my car and sent a lackey back for his. It fit. We shook hands, and that hurt my head, too. I drove off. Somewhere in the harbor district, the need for coffee and a few lungful of ocean air forced my hand. I parked the car and found both in a ship-shaped spot with a clear view of the docks. The first cup cleared my head, and the second one down near cleared the counter. Hey, watch it. I am. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It'll wipe up. How about you getting on you? No, no, I don't think so. You, uh, you know anything about ship schedules? Like what? Like that first one out there at anchor. The Orange Coast? Yeah. Well, seems to me she landed three or four nights ago. Don't know how long she'll be tied up. She's a fruit boat, though. Their office is just a block from here. Oh? More than likely, they're booked solid, but if you want to check... Um... 
Marlowe. There was a passenger Higgins on the Orange Coast when it docked Tuesday. Uh, Miss Higgins it was, Miss Dale Higgins, according to our records. Any record of where she boarded the boat? Let's see now. Oh, yes, at Macapa. Macapa? Brazil. Macapa, Brazil. Was she traveling alone by any chance? I really don't know. There's nothing here to... Any indicate. other Higginses aboard? No. Hmm. How about a passenger named Nichols? Any chance of that? No, no Nichols either. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. It was my turn to send a wire, only it was a cable this time. And it was going to be a while between answers, so I checked into a nice, clean, inconspicuous hotel. Had some food and a half bottle of aspirin and placed two phone calls. Dale Higgins was still resting comfortably, according to her stepmother. But Muff Benjamin was still willing to do anything for a buck. He was there in no time. Well, I heard you were here, Ma. Something big. Could be. You tell me you're the guy who hears things. About you being here? Mm-hmm. No, you know how it goes. People see people, people tell people. That's nothing. Yeah, I know. It happens all the time. Now, look, Muff, I gotta know things quick. Well, I... Uh... For money. Who and what? All right. I get this. The name is Higgins. Man old enough to have an 18-year-old daughter. I don't know his first name. He's dead, I think. But the daughter's name is Dare. You got that? And the wife that's surviving is called Marie. They have an apartment on Ocean Boulevard, the shore, I think it is. I got it. Okay. Now, a guy named Val Nichols. Check on him, too. If Higgins is dead, find out about a will. I'm ahead of you. Good. Get back as soon as you can, huh? You double the dough, I'll double the speed. You double. Hello. Speaking. I have a reply to your cable to Macapa, Brazil. Oh, good. Give it to me slow, huh? Dale Higgins, accompanied to boat by nun. Nun? Order of the Holy Cross has convent near here. Suggest you check there. Signed Emerson Ward, Macapa Fruit Exporting Company. Did you say Order of the Holy Cross? That's right. You wish to send a reply? No. No, not yet, anyway. Thanks. <laughs> You see, Father, if you could help me contact the convent in Brazil, I could find out how long Dale was a student there. That might shed some light on the situation. I see. I'm not schooled in your ways, Mr. Marlowe. Still, we're both seekers after truth, aren't we? In this case, a very specific truth. That's right, Father. I want to help, of course. Your cable said this was the Sisters of the Holy Cross convent? Yes. If there were any way we could call down there. You see, Father, time's pretty important. Mm. If it's possible, we shall call, my son. Meanwhile, our prayers are with Miss Higgins. Come, Mr. Marlowe. My prayers were with the phone company, too. And with Muff. And, of course, Dale. Because if her version of things were true, she was in real trouble. Until I knew what it was for... There was very little I could do for her. Was the information from the sisters helpful, Mr. Marlowe? Well, they were very cooperative, Father. Dale's been a student there for almost seven years, winter and summer. Her stepmother visited her every day, but Dale never left the convent until two weeks ago. Maybe it all fits, huh? Oh, bless her, my son. Thank you, Father. Thank the sisters of the Holy Cross.
Buff Benjamin was waiting at my hotel when I got back. <laughs> it was another study in contrasts. So far, I dealt with a priest, an informer, and a sister superior. And together, we were all coming close to an answer. His name was Dale Higgins, too, the doll's father. Died seven years ago. Loaded. Yeah? Left his second wife, Maria, good income. But the big load went to the kid. All right, what'd you get on Val Nichols? Oh, he's a bad one. Yeah? Specialty is knocking down rich widows. Currently fraternizing with this Marie Higgins thing. Bless you, Muff. Huh? I mean, here's your dough. You do look so much better than when you left, Mr. Marlowe. Really? Is Dale still sleeping? Why, yes. I think I'll look in on her, huh? No, I I mean, I'd rather you didn't. Where is she, Mrs. Higgins? Mr. Marlowe, you have no... I wonder if she liked it at the convent. What? Seven years is a long time to be away from home. A lot of things can happen in seven years, you know, Mrs. Higgins. You can even end up legally dead. Why, I, I'm sure I don't have any idea... Dale's dad must have thought a lot of her. I'll bet she was pretty close to him, too. She, she was. They... Mr. Marlowe, what are you... Do you tell me, Mrs. Higgins. There's nothing to tell. Dale I... seems to think there is. Which room is hers? She... She isn't here. I... Oh, Mr. Marlowe, don't ask any more. Oh, she's with Val, huh? On his boat. How did this ever happen? I didn't want it this way. I thought if she could have been declared legally dead, oh, I'd have taken care of her. I I, I mean, kept her there in the convent. No one knew she was there but Val. Val had to have her really dead. Is that expensive, Mrs. Higgins? Help her, Mr. Marlowe. He'll do it this time. He'll kill her, I know. Believe me, I don't want that. How long have they been gone? Not long. Half an hour, maybe, but no longer. I'll go with you. Marie really cracked on the way to the harbor. It was going to be a fishing accident in the channel. And Val would get away with it, too, unless we found something that could outpower his 30-footer. It was called the Queen Marie, one guess who had given it to him. I found the boat I needed, all right, but the skipper seemed reluctant to go for it. Wildest thing I ever heard of. I tell you, it's a matter of life and death. The Coast Guard can't go on every... Look, every... look, a month ago we needed you off Balboa when I motor cocked out and you came. But we've received no distress call from the Queen Marie. What do you think this is I'm giving you? Please, don't waste time talking. All right, come on, how about it? Okay, but if this isn't on the level, you're in some trouble, Marlowe. <laughs> By the time we'd cleared the harbor, I knew Val didn't have a chance. Every boat in the area had been alerted. I didn't know about Dale, though. I just hoped the sedative Val had given her was merciful. The Coast Guard took care of Val once we came alongside the Queen Marie. And I took care of Dale. She was in the galley, tied securely. Still dopey, but she came around after a while. Oh... Mr. Marlowe, you... Take it easy, baby. You're okay. You... I was afraid you'd forgotten your promise. But you didn't, did you? It was night now. And the lights that stretched out along the shore looked friendly and warm. <laughs> friendly and warm. I wonder when people are going to realize that the only happiness there is in the world is what they can give each other. Happiness, that is. Not a stab in the back. But you know, there's one thing about me. Yeah, I have to admit it. I'm an optimistic fella. The 
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, John Daner, Irene Tedrow, and Lee Millar, with Harry Bartell, Barney Phillips, Lou Krugman, Donna Hainer, and Stan Waxman. Gerald Moore may soon be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. The special music is composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... This time an old lady got taken for a new kind of ride by a new kind of chauffeur. And I got involved up to a gun in my ribs. All because I decided to spend a quiet day at home. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS here, Horace Hyde, every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Friend Irma. My Friend Irma, a radio series that tells the story of an extremely dim-witted blonde stenographer named Irma Peterson, played by Marie Wilson, and the daily hijinks that she gets into with her screwy friends. Tonight we hear the story of Jane and Irma being followed by a photographer with an intriguing offer. This episode was first aired in 1948, some 70 years ago. Jane? Jane? Yes, Irma, what is it? I can't understand why I was five pounds overweight when I stood in the scales. Well, I told you why. You had that heavy purse in your hand. Well, not the second time, Jane. I hung it over my shoulder. <laughs> well, that's what you can expect when you listen to my friend Irma. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgotten, theirs will still be hot. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super creamed blend, presents. Our friend Swan with my friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. <laughs> Saturday. The noon whistles have just blown, and me, little Jane Stacy, I'm going to do the same. Because as far as the Rhinelander Investment Company is concerned, they can take their job until Monday morning. <laughs> so I covered my typewriter, opened my purse, examined my shopping list, looked at my paycheck, tore up my shopping list, <laughs> kicked my typewriter, slammed the door, and I'm off. Which reminds me, Irma Peterson is waiting for me on 42nd Street. Oh, little boy.
Well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself smoking a cigar in broad daylight. Uh, a lady. I'm old enough to be your father. Don't you dare sit there and talk to me that way. Ah, uh, look, lady, I ain't sitting. I happen to be a singer midget, and I'm tall for my age. Just a minute, Sonny. Now, listen, lady, stop annoying me, or I'll climb up over this curb and let you have it. Dames <laughs> are always trying to pick me up. <laughs> Jane. Oh, you been waiting long, honey? Not by my watch. It stopped. <laughs> oh, Jane, I had a terrible experience with a little boy smoking a black cigar. I'm sure he wasn't any more than two feet old. Oh. <laughs> Irma, why is it that these things only happen to you? No one else. Come on, honey, let's go shopping, huh? Jane. Jane. What's the matter, honey? Jane, I feel two eyes in my back. Irma, we've just passed an optometrist sign. <laughs> Don't cause a scene, please. Oh, but Jane, I, I think we're being followed. Look back, I'm scared. Oh, Irma, you're just being silly, but I'll... Uh, I'll... Mm, Irma, someone is following us. Jane, what will we do? Oh, well, let's turn up this side street, see if he follows. Come on. Look back. Look back, Irma. No, Jane, you look back. All right. Irma, he's still following us. Now I'm getting worried. Well, uh, uh, don't be scared, Jane. Uh, you know the saying, two's company, three's a crowd. So as long as we're in a crowd, nothing can happen. <laughs> Come on, please, honey, let's run. Maybe we can shake him. Not me, Jane. I wouldn't touch him with a ten-foot pole. <laughs> Irma? Irma? I have a feeling he's catching up with us. Hurry up, honey. Come on, hurry. Irma, what are you doing with that handkerchief? I'm going to drop it. Why? Well, if he's a masher, you'll think I'm flirting with him. And when he bends over to pick it up, you hit him and I'll kick him. And then we'll both run. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, honey. Maybe it'll work. Just drop the handkerchief. All right. There. Uh, pardon me. Did you ladies drop this handkerchief? Yes. Well, here it is. Oh, Jane, it didn't work. He picked it up with his cane. I've been following you young ladies for several blocks That's evident Oh, I apologize You see, I'm a photographer and... Oh, sure, yeah, I know You're a photographer and you thought we were so beautiful That you want to take pictures of us, send us to Hollywood And give us a contract to play opposite Gabby Hayes <laughs> Oh, no, no, you got me all wrong I know this is a very unprofessional approach And I don't blame you for being suspicious So, uh, here's my name and my card uh, Jack Varell, chief photographer, Manhattan Magazine. I know you've heard of our magazine. Yes. Well, you see, I've been assigned to do a series of pictures of typical young working girls, so I'd like to take some pictures of you. Oh, Jane, isn't it wonderful? You'll be on the cover of a magazine. Imagine my best girlfriend for only 15 cents. <laughs> 20 in Canada. Now, there's no sense in discussing it further at this time. You check on the legitimacy of my offer, and if you're interested, I'd appreciate it if you'd give me a ring later today. Goodbye. Bye. Gee, Irma, do you think he's a phony? Well, I don't know, Jane, but let's go home and ask Al if he's a phony. Al will know. <laughs> no question about it. If he's a phony, he'll turn out to be Al's best friend. <laughs> So 
only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little ballet dancers. One on her toes, the other still spinning. <laughs> Excuse me, a little joke I picked up from a dying swan. <laughs> oh, Professor, Jane has a chance to be a photographer's model. Shouldn't she take it? Why not? Name me two prettier girls in all of New York than my two little sweethearts. Oh, Professor, that's sweet of you. Well, I know beauty when I see it. <laughs> Don't misjudge me just because I go around with Mrs. O'Reilly. <laughs> You know, many a man who likes steak has to be satisfied with hash. <laughs> oh, Professor, I, I don't think you should describe Mrs. O'Reilly that way. You're right, Irma. She's not hash. She's more on the order of pig's knuckles. <laughs> but, but I like her. She's got a good heart. When I'm sick, she makes me a little soup, and, and that saves my life. Because I know if I don't get out of bed, her soup is going to kill me. <laughs> but, Janie, dear, I think this will be a good opportunity for you. I want to wish you lots of luck. And now I got to leave because Mrs. O'Reilly is taking me for a walk in the Bowery. The Bowery? That's a terrible place. Yes, I know, but she wants some ideas on how to redecorate my room. <laughs> Only one person in an apartment house has got the nerve to knock like that, the landlady. Come in, Mrs. O'Reilly. Hello, girls. Hello, Professor. Oh, Mrs. O'Reilly, maybe you could help me. I'd like to ask your advice. Uh, I've got a chance to pose as a photographer's model. Do you think I should accept it? What are you asking her for? What does she know? How dare you say that, Professor? I'll have you know I used to be a model myself in my younger days. You model? What for, the monitor or the Merrimack? <laughs> go along with you. As a girl, I had a very attractive figure, and I wore me bustle at a rakish angle. <laughs> In fact, people used to mistake me for Anna Held. I see what you mean. Where Anna Held, you bulge. <laughs> Come along, Mrs. O'Reilly. Let Janie decide for herself. Well, I guess you're right, Professor. After all, Janie's got a good head on her shoulders. Uh, she's not like a... Oh, uh, goodbye, Irma. Bless you. You're a lovely girl. Irma, I've made up my mind, and I've got a hunch. I'm going to call up the magazine and check on Mr. Varel right now. Oh, good for you, Jane. Oh, Jane, if it worked out well for you, then maybe you could get me a job, too. Uh, then we could model twin things like a two-way stretch. <laughs> you could stretch one way, and I could stretch the other. <laughs> Grand, you'll be in Scotland before me. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Manhattan Magazine. D do you have a Mr. Burrell there? Oh, he's head of your photographic department? Yes, I I'd like to speak with him. Thank you. Irma, he's not a phony. Not, not a... Hello. Hello, Mr. Burrell. Uh, uh, th this is Miss Stacy, the young lady you gave the card to this morning. Uh, yes, yes, I know now it's a legitimate proposition, but you can't blame a girl for being suspicious... Yes, I'd very much like to model for you. What's that? You'll come over tonight? At my place? Oh, you have a deadline to make. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it'll be all right. Yes, at 8 o'clock. Fine. I live at 8224 West 73rd Street, Apartment 3B. See you at 8. Goodbye. Oh, 
Oh, Irma, he's coming here tonight to shoot the picture. He says he has a deadline. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, I have no idea what to wear. Oh, Jane, don't be silly for a deadline. You'd wear black. <laughs> Thank you, Irma Peterson. Well, now that I've decided to do it, gee, I, I've got to look my best. And Irma, please note, I don't want anything to go wrong. Understand? Well, don't worry. Uh, Jane, uh, why don't you wear your gray pleated skirt? I'll be glad to press it for you. Uh, no thanks, honey. Why can't I press it for you? Because I remember how it looked the last time you pressed it. <laughs> you see, Irma, pleats are supposed to run up and down, not across. <laughs> oh, Virginia, there must be something I can do. I know, I'll fix your hair. How, so it'll never grow again? <laughs> well, I... Uh, I could brush your suede shoes. Like you did the last time, with my hairbrush? <laughs> oh, how about... No? My... Gosh, Jane, can I even do your nails? No, honey, I, I didn't like the way you did them last time. I, I happen to be one of those persons who likes only one point on each nail. <laughs> Come in. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Jane. Hi, Al. Excuse me, will you? I've got to get my things together. What are you so excited about, Jane? Don't run off. I want to tell you about my new deal. <laughs> no, thanks, Al. I do not care to hear about your deal. It can have no effect on me whatsoever. I already have the jitters. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to get dressed. Jane's never interested in me or my work. Al... I'd love to hear your new deal. Ah, oh, thanks, chicken. Always can depend on you. And you won't go wrong, because this one will make all our dreams come true. It's a campaign button with a picture of Truman wearing a button with a picture of Stassen, wearing a button with a picture of Wallace, wearing a button with a picture of MacArthur. So you don't have to commit yourself in front of the wrong people. <laughs> Al, you're the smartest man I know. Here's a kiss. Let's have it. <laughs> hello. Chicken, why do you always say hello when I kiss you? Well, sometimes I think it's all a dream, but when you answer me, I know you're there. <laughs> Someday I'll be there with you for life. Well, but until then, I wish there was some glamour in my life, like what happened to Jane. What happened to Jane? Well, she's going to be a photographer's model. Oh, I envy her. Oh, chicken, get that notion out of your head. I ain't marrying no career girl. I know where these things lead. First you're a model, then you win a beauty contest, then you become a chorus girl. I don't want our kids to say, Hey, Pop, give me a quarter for the show. I want to go see Mom. <laughs> Gee, I never looked at it that way. Well, chicken, how about you and me taking a little walk, huh? Well, any other time, Al, but right now I've got to go in and help Jane. Ah, oh, she won't appreciate it. No, Al, Jane needs me. After all, without me, things can go wrong, and I should be there to make sure. <laughs> okay, we'll pick you up later tonight, and we'll go to a movie. Uh, Jane? Can I come in? Al is gone. Come on in, honey. Oh, I see you have all your clothes laid out on the bed. Yeah. Yeah, that's because I want to know where everything is. 
That includes you. Now, please don't touch anything. Oh, but you know I want to help. Is there anything I can do? Like pluck your eyebrows? No, honey. No, you did that once before, and when you were finished, everyone thought I worked for the telegraph company. <laughs> I had three dots and a dash over each eye. <laughs> Irma, sweetie, I, I don't want anything to go wrong. I want to look my very best for the picture, so just sit in that chair over in the corner and watch. Oh, Jane. Gee, there must be some little thing I could do. I feel so useless and empty inside. <laughs> All right, honey. All right, there is something you can do. Bring me a little table lamp in the front room, huh? I need more light. Well, thank you, Jane. Now, let's see. Um, here's a table lamp. I'll just gently pick it up. Irma! Irma, the lights went out in here. What happened? <laughs> I don't know, Jane. They went out in here, too. <laughs> Manhattan Magazine's prospective glamour girl sitting in total darkness with my beloved roommate. But as dark as this room is, I don't think it begins to compare with the blackout which is Irma's mind. <laughs> she had to blow a fuse. Just when there's no one in the entire building to help us, and just when I'm on the brink of the greatest opportunity a girl ever had. You know I should be crying? Doesn't work that way. Irma is the one that's crying. <laughs> oh. Irma, would, would you just please, please stop that whimpering? So you didn't mean to blow the fuse. All right, I forgive you. That's not why I'm crying. Then why are you crying? I'm afraid of the dark. Oh. <laughs> For goodness sakes, don't be a child. We're three floors up. Now, who could get in here? A tall, second-story man. <laughs> Jane, where are you? Near the fireplace, honey. Where are you? I think I'm in it. <laughs> it's very warm. Irma, that's the radiator. Oh, Jane, I'm scared. Oh, Honey, please stop that crying and help me get out of this spot, please. Run down to the drugstore and get a box of fuses. All right, Jane. But I can't see where the door is. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, just figure out where in the room you're standing. Oh, I can't. I'm so frightened and nervous. My hands are dripping with perspiration. Yeah. Well, stand still and I'll feel my way over to you. Irma, your hands are in the goldfish bowl. I thought I had an awful lot of fingers. No, 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 where's the door? Oh, it's so dark. Well, honey, just, just walk ahead and, and turn when you get to the couch. Jane, Jane, the walls are closing in on me. Irma, you're in the closet. 
Oh, honey, come on. I'll show you the door. Now, now, now get the fuses, Irma. He'll be here any minute. Uh, I'll be right back, Jane. Hiya, chicken. What's the big hurry? Hello, Al. I, I blew out the fuse and Jane's trying to get dressed for the photographer and I'm, uh, I'm on my way to buy a fuse. Well, ain't necessary, chicken. In an emergency like this, there's only one man to call. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. What do you know about electricity? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. You refuse to discuss the subject? It has taken four members of your family? <laughs> well, how, Joe? Oh, it came suddenly. They were all sitting in a chair at the time. <laughs> Understand and respect your feelings, Joe. We'll handle it myself. Gotcha. Goodbye, Joe. Chicken, know what to do. Let's go down to the master control box downstairs. We'll fix everything. Well, do you know anything about electricity? All there is to know. Follow me. You see, chicken, if a man ain't handy around the house, he can't call himself a man. For instance, the other day, the hotel shut off my lights on a little technicality. I didn't pay the rent. <laughs> so what do I do? I rig up my lights to the hotel sign outside my window. Does it work? I don't know. I'll just like the sign. <laughs> well, here we are, chicken. Here's the master control box. Well, but you haven't got a fuse. Don't need a fuse. Just put a penny in like this. Al, do you notice how dark it is? Now all the lights are out. How do you like that? Force a habit. Use the slug instead of a penny. <laughs> but it's easily fixed. There must be another fuse box up in your apartment we can take care of. Oh, yes, in the kitchen closet. It's full of pipes and switches. A field day. Let's go. Gee, Al, doesn't it seem a crime? What? We spend so much money on the tunnel of love, and now we have all this darkness for nothing. We waste it. <laughs> uh, realize the opportunity, chicken, but uh, someone is liable to slug us in the dark. It'll be Jane with a baseball bat. <laughs> well, here we are. Jane, where are you? That's you, Al. I'm in the shower, and I haven't got a minute to waste. We'll have everything fixed immediately. Handyman, you know. All right, chicken, where's that fuse box? Uh, right over here, Al. Uh-huh. Don't even have a match, but know my way around these things. There. Now, let's see. These pipes must be feeder pipes. Feel a little loose. Oh, here's a wrench. We'll tighten them up. Any results, Jane? Yeah. The water's stopped running. <laughs> Not out here. My feet are getting wet. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. Now I can't get this soap off me. We'll fix it in a minute. Now, let me see. There should be a loose wire around here. See if you can feel around for it, chicken. A loose wire? Oh, here's one. Oh, wait, it's stuck. I'll, I'll give it a few yanks. Here. Thanks. Yeah, no results. Listen, the two of you, I'm going to catch pneumonia. I don't know what you're up to, but you call the electric company at once. Do you hear? Logical suggestion, chicken. Do what she says. All right. Oh, Al. What, chicken? I think I pulled the wrong wire. <laughs> the phone doesn't work now. 
Oh, what are the two of you up to? The lights don't work, the water doesn't work, now the phone doesn't work. I can't even commit suicide because I'm sure the gas doesn't work either. <laughs> oh, Irma, what'll I do? How can they take pictures of me? I'm covered with soap. I got on an old robe and my hair's a mess. Well, answer me, the two of you. Where are you? So the evening shouldn't be a total loss. Me and Chicken are sitting here on the sofa. <laughs> oh, no. If that's Mr. Varel from Manhattan Magazine, you tell him I'm sick. I have left town. Come in. Welcome. Who are you? Oh, it's me and the professor girls. My, what happened to all the lights? Irma blew the fuse. And Al helped her with the rest. <laughs> Just when I'm expecting some... Oh, how dreadful to be stranded in the dark like this. Now, that all depends on how you view it. To me, Mrs. O'Reilly, you have never looked more beautiful. <laughs> oh, quiet, Professor. We'd better hurry out and find some fuses. Oh, no, it's too late. He'll be here any minute, and I'm just a mess. Well, there's no time to waste. Come on, Professor. Uh -huh. Oh, oh it's, oh, it's so dark on the staircase. <laughs> Give me your hand, Professor. <laughs> Positively not. You're liable to enjoy it, and I know you. You're just the kind who will go around blowing out users. Jane. Jane. What do you want? I can't see your face. Are you mad at me? No. I feel like throwing a party for you. For you and that fugitive from an honest dollar. <laughs> that must be me. Now look here, Jane. Oh, no, be still, the two of you. You just ruined everything. But, but we're sorry, Jane. You're always sorry. You were sorry when you plucked all the gray hairs out of my silver fox because you thought it looked too old. <laughs> you were sorry when you cut out the front of my best evening gown because you read that midriffs were in style. <laughs> Get out of the icebox. <laughs> Jane. Jane, I have something to tell you. What? You look a mess. <laughs> no kidding. I know my hair is a mess and my face is covered with soap and I'm wearing an old bathrobe. You don't have to tell me. Oh, that's a photographer. What should I do, Jane? It doesn't matter. Tell him I'm sick. I went out of town. My grandfather died. Who is it? Mr. Burrell. I'm here to photograph Miss Stacy. Uh, Jane is dead. <laughs> she went out of town to see her sick grandfather. Now hold it, chicken. Let the guy in. Tell him the truth. Hello. Oh, oh, Mr. Burrell, I'm so sorry. You see... Hey, I... hold it, hold it. You look perfect. Perfect? Yes, perfect. How'd you think of the get-up? Get-up? Oh, I'm so glad you understand what we're after. Manhattan Magazine doesn't want fancy poses. We want realism. And I've got just the slant for the picture. Manhattan Magazine visits the average American girl on Saturday night when she starts getting dressed for her date. We'll shoot you from the tub to the trocadero. You'll be sensational. Oh, isn't it wonderful, Jane? Your picture's going to be on all the magazine stands. Yeah, soap suds and all. 
Well, you should be glad at least everybody will know you had a bath. <laughs> you know, it's things like that that make me want to shower my affections on the head of my friend, Irma. <laughs> Irma presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our friend Swan with my friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by The Bob Hope Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.